Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show dedicated to creating and discussing alternative perspectives on sports from the viewpoint of an artist. I am your host, Abigail Smithson, and my guests today are Noah Cohen and John Early, who are on the show to discuss their project, Whereas Hoops. Noah is the Assistant Director of American Culture Studies at Washington University, St. Louis, and is a previous Dear Adam Silver guest from episode 22, where he joined the show to discuss his book on fandom entitled We Average and Beautiful Watchers. John Early is an artist and senior lecturer at the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University, St. Louis. Their collective project, Whereas Hoops, was created to draw attention to the lack of basketball courts in Forest Park, which is located in St. Louis and is one of the biggest urban parks in the country. But with all that space, there are still no basketball courts. Noah and John are working collaboratively to highlight this issue in its proper historical context and hopefully correct it in the long term. Also, if the sound quality sounds a little bit off on this recording, that's because this intro is being recorded on my phone since I am on the road and out of the studio right now. But when we recorded our original discussion, um, we were in the studio. So thank you so much to John and Noah for coming on, and thank you to you all for listening. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So... John and Noah, thanks so much for making some time to come on and talk about Whereas Hoops. And I think that the best place to start is just where you started with this project, how this project, Whereas Hoops, came to be, uh, sort of the genesis of the idea for it. So if if either one of you wants to start with that. Sure. Um, thanks for having us on, Abigail. Um, you know, I see the genesis of the project is actually five years ago. Um, Noah and I were both participating um, the symposium at WashU, Washington University uh, in St. Louis, uh, called the Material World of Modern Segregation. And so different uh, researchers and practitioners and scholars um, were studying sites of of racism in and around St. Louis. And um, I had chosen a basketball court um, in North St. Louis to to look at um, and write about and, and did an art um, kind of intervention in the in the urban landscape there, um, and met Noah. We started talking, realized we had this really strong affinity, uh, shared affinity for sports, and then just ended up kind of just like nerding out on sports and and basketball in particular. Um, and so, you know, I I had known of Noah, um, but we hadn't, to my knowledge, um, interacted um, before that time. And so then I think. Um, yeah, the relationship formed and we, you know, kind of kept the conversation uh, going. And as I was continuing to think about um, questions of um, space and place and race as it relates to uh, the city of St. Louis and basketball courts in particular, um, I was just super excited to kind of run some ideas by Noah and see if he'd be interested in um, in collaborating on some kind of project. You know, we was a bit a bit amorphous and still is to some degree. Um, but he was excited. And so we just um, started making um, steps in the direction of just doing some research, um, putting some things on Instagram, um, and just kind of rolling with it and see see where it would lead. Yeah, I, I remember that event clearly. And, and I feel as if uh, maybe this is um, 
my memory making things into a better story than than reality reflects. But I feel as if in that in that first engagement, we talked about Forest Park specifically and the lack of basketball hoops in Forest Park. It was something that I had noticed and you had noticed independently, like something is going on here with the fact that this giant park, St. Louisans love to tell you that it's bigger than Central Park, um, has no basketball hoops in it when it has so many other sporting amenities. You know, it has uh, not just like tennis and golf, uh, but also more obscure sports available to play there, like uh, archery and rugby. And I mean, there's there's all kinds of facilities there, but but no basketball. And, you know, to take it back to the Central Park thing, uh, Central Park has two separate areas where they have uh, basketball courts, yet none, none in Forest Park. And so, you know, my background being in... Um, sort of literary studies, rhetorical analysis, and dabbling into sports history, my inclination was always to, you know, want to look for documents and and maybe write something, do an article. Um, and, uh, you know, I had sort of thought about that over the years, but but meeting with John and learning about his artistic practice was really exciting to me to, to understand that there's another way that we could engage this problem and, and draw attention to it and do, you know, not just scholarship, but, but activism. And so, um, so connecting with John, um, you know, all those years ago, things were percolating, you know, what were we going to do? And then finally, I think, and I'll let uh, John build on this over the pandemic, you know, we were, we, uh, at least just to speak for myself, uh, you know, I had less bandwidth for some things, uh, because I was home with my kids in remote school all the time, but more bandwidth for other things. And this Instagram-based project sort of fit the bill for the, the kind of activity I could easily engage in, um, something we could do mostly remotely, but then you know also in person because we could go to the park and, and be outdoors. Um, and so it kind of, uh, I think the COVID uh, timeframe was kind of perfect for both for the nature of the project, what it has become, but also just to sort of knock me out of my routine and sort of have me thinking about um, different ways of, of being um, someone who's interested in these, in these topics and someone who wants to, to make a difference in, in his community. Yes, and I think you're, the sort of caption or tagline on Twitter and Instagram for the project is, uh, have you ever noticed that there's no basketball hoop in Forest Park? Question mark. We did too. And I'm just wondering if you could expand a little bit on sort of um, the overall mission. I mean, and I know that this this is still new and it's still unfolding. And so that mission will maybe change or adapt as, as things go on, but just sort of uh, the, the purpose, uh, with the, with the initial idea. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And that all of that is still very much in development. I mean, early on when, you know, Noah and I were talking and, and we had talked with a, a few other colleagues, um, as well, um, kind of as a small team thinking through like, okay, this is a great project. We're all interested from these different, uh, kind of areas of, of practice or expertise. Um, like, what's it going to look like? What are we going to do? Um, and there were some great ideas, but in a lot of ways, it felt very much like a, a cart before the horse kind of thing where it's like, well, and, and you'll know this, Abigail, just in terms of being a maker, like the, like the act of creating itself, like the act of making, and it's the same thing with, you know, writing in other fields as well. I think it's particularly true for artists um, and designers though. Like 
the, the act of like thinking through making and kind of how that, how important that is and how through the making you kind of concretize kind of what it is that you're really um, interested in or, or seeing kind of uh, what gains traction and what you want to pursue or what kind of percolates through the process. And so um, in the end, um, so this kind of small group of us that convened um, kind of realized, oh yeah, well, maybe now is not quite the time because we're not quite sure. We have these kind of big ideas, but we're not quite sure what we're, why we're doing them or, or kind of how we get there. Um, and then I had had the thought of just, you know, I just want to get the ball rolling, just get something out there and just, and of course, Instagram is such a, I think a great place to do that. Um, and so I said, Hey, like, you know, I just want to like, I just want to start posting some stuff. Um, and just kind of really using that almost as like a sketchbook or a workspace mm -hmm. to put ideas together, put some images with them. Um, um, again, just as a, as a way to kind of work through even the, the aims of the project itself. Um, I was thrilled that Noah was, was game. I very much need Noah <laughs> as part of this project um, <laughs> and see, and like envision him as like such a, a key part of this again, just from, um, you know, his area of, of work and training and expertise. And so the fact that he was in was like, all right, um, that, that kind of gave me the permission to just like start, start doing something. And in a, a kind of public way, of course, on, on Instagram. Um, and so I think kind of where we are now in terms of the, the aims, I think very much we are uh, raising awareness of the fact that basketball courts are absent um, in the park. It's really interesting, um, both in just people I, I talk to, um, friends even, um, neighbors, colleagues um, that don't realize that's the case. Like it's just assumed that basketball courts are there because they're at every park. Um, and they're, and they're not, not only are they not currently there, but they never have been. So it's not as if they were, they were put in and taken out. They've just never existed. Um, so part of what we're doing is really kind of raising awareness about that kind of asking questions, probing a little bit, like why that is, um, is a really large part of the project. And I think long-term, um, you know, in terms of, of, of concrete action, like we really want to, um, advocate publicly, um, for the construction of basketball courts in Forest Park. And again, what form or forms that might take, I think kind of ranges the uh, speculative um, in terms of like art and design practice to, um, you know, the political. Um, and again, that's kind of being formed, but I, but I do see um, that as, as, a, as an end, um, something very, again, concrete and specific that like we, we need, there's, there, there's no good reason why basketball courts aren't here. And as a matter of fact, there are many good reasons why they should be. Yeah, I mean, if I could just build on your, your point about the tagline, um, Abigail, I think, I think that reflects um, part of what I was saying earlier about um, an alternative to uh, an academic model in, in humanistic study where we might sort of uh, recognize the problem, uh, analyze the problem, even suggest what kind of actions could be taken for the problem, but not effectively oftentimes engage a broader public about dealing with the problem. And so, you know, I, I mentioned uh, John's artistic practice, which is really the, the driver of a lot of that engagement to the public. But that tagline too reflects that, um, you know, look, this is something that once you see it, it you can't unsee it, <laughs> like it's, it's really glaring. 
uh, once you're made aware of it. And, and so, you know, hopefully that tagline, even if they intend to read nothing else, they're just glancing at our account or they just come stumble across it somehow. Hopefully just those few words can spark something in their minds that, you know, might get them to engage with us, but also might get them to, you know, mention it the next time they're in Forest Park or talking to someone about Forest Park, just to, to so that more people are aware that, that this is a thing and that it reflects some really um, deep tension and ugly history in, in St. Louis's um, history as a, as a city and, a, and, and its history with regard to public spaces. And I, I want to come back to that that tension and, and that ugly history. And I, I first just want to touch a little bit on the history of Forest Park. Uh, I have spent not that much time in St. Louis, but for the, that time that I spent there, I did spend some serious time at Forest Park and uh, how, you know, I understood to be this kind of like crown jewel uh, of, you know, the city, the city of St. Louis and also this connection that it had to the World's Fair in 1904 being this exhibit. Um, exposition of all these different things that that also there there was very ugly racism uh, present at that at the World's Fair uh, as well and in, in, in how they um, were choosing to I guess uh, display different uh, people that were not white in order for for people that were attending the fair to learn about them that's in quotes um in this really really ugly dehumanizing way and so um and then sort of separate from that you know walking around forest park it's a lovely place you know in the middle of summer sometimes not so easy but um it it does feel like there's just a lot a lot invested there from the city uh and uh i'm just wondering if, if you want I don't, I'm not sure when it was built or how it coincides with the with the World's Fairs or that, but just how, if a, any background knowledge on just the beginning of Forest Park. Yeah, I, I can I can do that, John, if, if that's okay. Um, so yeah, so it's it. I'm gonna have the not have the exact year in mind, but I think it's in the 1870s um, that the the land is set aside for the park, and and the people that are doing this are, you know. Um, some of the the wealthiest individuals in St. Louis, um, uh, you know, then as now, these are these are a bunch of uh, old white men who sort of make <laughs> a lot of the most important uh, decisions with regard to what the city is going to do, and they have control of a lot of property, and so they they want to have this um, large green space at what was then the edge of the city, right? The extreme Western edge, you know, now, now the city has, the city and county, uh, the Metro area extends much, much further West. But back then this was the, the Western edge. And so they, they set aside this land. Um, then, you know, post-Civil War. So, you know, we're post-slavery in Missouri and Missouri was a slave state, but still um, very much a, a time um, of, of much more limited uh, rights for people of color. Uh, and, and this space was pretty clearly marked for the, the wealthy to enjoy because at first the only real way you could access the far reaches of the park was with your horse-drawn carriage. Um, and, you know, you had to be of a certain class uh, to, to, to do that. Now, eventually streetcars and, and other forms of public transportation uh, reached the park and allowed uh, more access to, to other people. But at first, that, that, those were the only people that could access it. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, you know, any St. Louisan can tell you that about 1904 when the World's Fair was 
in Forest Park. Uh, also, the Olympics were held. Um, uh, most of the Olympic uh, events were held adjacent to the park on the campus of what is now Washington University in St. Louis. Um, so yeah, the park was about 30 years old at that point. Um, and the park was really though reshaped by that event. Um, the, the art museum, which is a gorgeous art museum, a wonderful institution is, uh, the only permanent structure that, that remains from that. But, uh, a lot of the landscaping was reshaped for that event. Um, the proceeds from that event then funded another, uh, historic building on what is now Forest Park, which is the Missouri History Museum. Um, so the park, uh, or the, the fair left an indelible mark on the park um, and and as you mentioned that you know with that uh, fair uh, there are lots of um, sort of cultural things associated with it um, but but one of them is this this sort of sideshow area where they had people from different um, uh, parts of the world uh, many of them non-white sort of on display as a sort of attraction to people in a really dehumanizing um, way and um, part of the history that 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 John actually um, first uncovered and that I was thrilled to dig into uh, was that of um, some Native American women who were brought um, to the park to be part of the, the sort of Indian school exhibition. And what we've learned about Indian schools then, uh, especially the recent revelations in Canada about um, uh, a mass grave behind the former site of one of their Indian schools. These were these were sites of of great trauma, right? Where where these people's culture was stripped away from them, and sometimes, you know, they they didn't they didn't survive this. But anyway, um, these these women were part of this Indian school uh, exhibition. They came from Montana, and they were skilled at basketball, and they became sort of darlings of the fair to some degree uh, because of their ability. Um, at the game of basketball. And, and it's not clear to us based on our research whether they actually played on the ground that is now the park. They may have only played over at Washington University um, and in other places around the, the metro area. But uh, they were awarded this giant trophy, which still exists. And uh, you know they were declared world's champions. Um, so, so there was this, this strange tension between the way they were othered as, as people of colors color and Native Americans specifically, part of this Indian school exhibit, but then also through their skill at this athletic pursuit, a relatively recent one, right? We're talking only 13 years after basketball is invented. Um, they were celebrated by, by plenty of uh, white St. Louisans for, for these skills. Um, so yeah, th th that was another thing. We, we, we really wanted to find out definitively whether they had played in the park itself, because as far as we can tell, nobody had played in the park since then, if they even did. Um, but that was a fascinating history. Anyway, I'm talking way too much. John, why don't you chime in on some of the things about the park? No, that, that's great, Noah. And yeah, and, and everything, just to reiterate, like that we've, that we've read in, in newspapers and images photographs that we found like, I, I can't find we can't find any evidence at all that basketball is actually played within forest park um that same that same summer 1904 uh, the olympics i don't know if no mentioned this earlier were held concurrently with the world's fair and so at those 1904 olympic games that was actually the first time that men's basketball um, was played in the Olympics. So there were all kinds of other um, basketball games kind of going on at that time. Um, the, the Olympics took place on Francis Field, which is adjacent to, I think Noah did mention, it's adjacent to the World's Fair, um, but, but not 
I'm sorry, adjacent to Forest Park and um, the World's Fair, but but not within the park itself. So, um, and, and we do know that the the Fort Shaw girls team traveled to a couple of different places in St. Louis to play, um, like our local like high school all star teams, um, who they crushed. Um, but um, so they 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 did. And and even on their way from Montana to St. Louis, played in played in games um, on their way here. Um, but yeah, so the I mean, just to reiterate what Noah was saying, the the, the kind of confluence of first time basketballs at the Olympics, it's four straw girls coming in and playing um, basketball as part of the World's Fair. Um, these two events happening, you know, side by side, you know, one in Forest Park, one adjacent to it. Um, everything with Anthropology Days, like you were mentioning before. So that was the the name of the event that was um, part of the the World's Fair, and actually, the um, the natives or um, indigenous peoples or like savages, like in quotes that they were called, um, as part of Anthropology Days, it was this two day event. They were asked to participate in in all sorts of different athletic events, um, competing against like, all the white people, basically, um, and most of the Olympians. Vast majority, ninety five percent of something at that time were American. Um, and so, of course, people from the Philippines have like never seen you know, like the sports we're playing and they're asked to compete in them. Um, records were kept. So there's actually, like in the Olympic Almanac, there, there are records of those anthropology days, um, days events. Um, and so, um, which of course we, like Noah was saying, we hear about 1904 all the time in the World's Fair all the time, in the Olympics all the time. Um, you don't hear about anthropology days ever at all. Um, and I don't even know that it's like publicly noted um, anywhere. Yeah, I think that that uh, connects to this, uh, how the project that you're doing now is in response to racism within the city of St. Louis. And I think something that is standing out to me about it, I'm just going to go back to my notes here, is that... Uh, I think that recently from high-ranking public officials like Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, other such people have been uh, voicing and identifying how racism is built into infrastructure. Um, and I think that those are – it's often focused on the things that we can see so that this highway cut through this neighborhood and because of that – destroyed these businesses, destroyed this culture that was here before, or not destroyed it, but, um, I mean, potentially, but also just, uh, you know, forced it out or to relocate or, or whatever it was. Um, and so I think that there's this other side of what we, there's, what we see, what we can identify as like this physical thing that disrupted this area or made this area, uh, worse off or, or harmed this region uh and then also the things we don't see which is what i feel like whereas hoops is is focusing on um as far as what's missing and because of what's missing then uh why was that decision made as far as um uh who who's then left out and the you know when you mentioned tennis and and golf that those historically have been sports that have been um associated with and, and, and played by, by white people. And, and that is not the same for basketball, especially within, um, a city, uh, city areas. Uh, so I'm just, I'm wondering about the sort of what's missing versus the, what we see 
what's present and how that sort of different ways of recognizing how infrastructure is harmful or and embodies the racism of the the ruling powers it's a long question i'm not sure if it's a question as much as an observation if anyone wants to respond to that i'm happy to um i mean st louis like uh, a lot of these cities has has those uh, examples the mill creek valley was a historically um, black neighborhood that was cleared out um, for development, including for the highway. Um, and even within the park, um, sort of the more visible, obvious examples of who the park is, welcomes and who it doesn't. And until only a few years ago, there was a Confederate monument in the park. In fact, there was a small piece of road called Confederate Drive um, right by this Confederate monument. It had been like a lot of these monuments constructed in the 1920s by the Daughters of the Confederacy. Um, you know, it didn't say anything overtly about um, slavery or black people, but the but the message was clear, right? Like, this, uh, you know, it, it sent a clear, strong message. Now, uh, thanks to activism of a, a lot of uh, activists young and old, um, the city uh, did the right thing and, and took it down. And in fact, um, ripped up Confederate Drive and, and filled it in with grass and it no longer exists. Um, so, you know, those of us who've been living here long enough to know where it was, we, we can still sort of um, feel its absence present, absent presence on the landscape. But, but the message that it sent is not at least overtly uh, there anymore. But yeah, our project is really looking at more of a negative space, right? Like, um, what do basketball hoops represent culturally? Um, and what is the, the, the intentionality behind, you know, purposefully not including them? Because it's not as though nobody has ever uh, mentioned this or brought up uh, the possibility of putting basketball courts in the park. In, in the last 10 years, there have been two separate bills before the St. Louis Board of Aldermen proposing to install basketball courts in Forest Park. And both times they died in committee. And that doesn't happen by accident. It's not like oh. the committee just sort of, ah, well, we'll just not, we'll forget about it. You know, like there has to have been some kind of back channel communication. There has to be some politicking. There's something happening there where these bills die and the, and the courts are not built, right? And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, though, um, uh, James Naismith invented the game uh, for a group of his incorrigibles, right? Individuals who um, uh, were phenotypically white. Um, the game has taken on an association with people of color, particularly African-Americans um, in this country. And it seems pretty clear to me, and I'll let John expand on this if he wants to, that you know that the, the absence of basketball courts has to do with that perception that that black people will come and play basketball if you provide them facility and and the the implicit message there would be we do not want black people particularly black men hanging out in the park um and so it's a deterrent by uh by non non-inclusion of those facilities now plenty of white people and asian people and people of all kinds of ethnic backgrounds would certainly play basketball in the park. It's not as though only black people would do so, but it's but it seems to me that that is the only reasonable explanation uh, for what they are afraid of. They, you know, I'm not exactly sure who they is. Um, could be 
uh, people in city government. It could be people um, behind the group that funds a lot of the improvements that are made to Forest Park. Who knows exactly who they are, but but someone is ha over the years has taken steps to block uh, the installation of of basketball hoops. Yeah, and I'll pick up on that. Um, gosh, uh, several <laughs> several directions I want to go. Um, you know, Noah mentioning the board bills, the the two board bills um, that you know recently died in committee that would that would have constructed uh, lit basketball courts uh, in Forest Park. Um, that's where the the project's title comes from, actually. So, and just looking at the the structure of the board bills. So, when I learned about these board bills, I you know went to read them. Um, and this preamble of whereas statements, you know, whereas St. Louis is this, whereas St. Louis is this, whereas basketball is this, um, and then kind of making the um, the call for, you know, in light of these things, this should be done. Um, and so I think from a conceptual standpoint, um, that is kind of guiding the project, I think, to a large degree. So these kind of, um, what we're writing, what we're posting, um, the kind of spatial and, and kind of visual um, um, things that are made or, or um, gestures that are made, you know, in the landscape um, are in some ways, you know, this series of like, whereas like all of these things, like, hello, <laughs> we, we should have basketball courts here. Um, you know, and to Noah's point about the, the kind of who, I mean, we're talking about who uh, in terms of who uses the park, um, who's maybe discouraged from using the park, who's making the decisions about the design of the park. I mean, you know, Abigail, you mentioned earlier about the city um, kind of being invested in the park, which is absolutely true. Um, but for decades on, um, St. Louis city has, has had like no tax base. So Forest Park for a long time um, was in decline. And so it wasn't until the 1980s, mid to late 1980s, that a group um, of individuals from uh, St. Louis um, formed Forest Park Forever, which is uh, a, a private uh, a private group that partners with the city and basically fundraises on behalf of the city so that Forest Park can be the way that it is. Um, which is a whole interesting other dynamic. You know, on one hand, it's really wonderful that there's this this group of um, you know largely wealthy St. Louisans. I mean, you can you or I can join and become a member, um, but the millions and millions of dollars they've raised over the years, you know, since the '80s, um, has funded all kinds of park improvements, all kinds of new amenities, um, and it's not just to the um, to the look of the park, it's two facilities as well, um, including baseball fields and softball fields. Um, and so it's not as if they, they, aren't, they aren't touching on, like their work isn't directly touching on like the recreational spaces in the park. It's not just about beautification, it's about, um, again, use, land use and, and you know, recreation and sports is a part of that. And so the fact that, you know, through the past three and a half decades, like of all the things that have been done and all the improvements that have been made that basketball hasn't been a part of that. I mean, again, the, the park is enormous, like far larger than, than Central Park as Noah mentioned. Um, you know, that to us, like it indicates something, I mean, is a red flag 
for sure and indicate some things that, you know, um, certainly we can assume, but want, want to and have been through the project just kind of digging into, um, you know, through the through the research of the project. I, I also think there's this quality to basketball that that brings other people to it that are not only that are not playing. So I'm just thinking <laughs> about in public spaces, especially outdoors, when, you know, I know that if I walk by an exciting pickup game, I want to stop. <laughs> Even if I don't know anyone playing, let alone if if you know people who are playing and you want, I mean, I just think that those are, that's a part of basketball. I mean, I think it's a part of baseball to a certain uh, extent to, I feel like football doesn't really exist as much in, in those spaces in an organized way. Um, but I, I don't think that's no, always true. I mean, that's not true of golf <laughs> in a casual sense. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, I know the masters, blah, 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 people show up and, and, but, uh, I, I just think that, that, that the magic of basketball is that you can really, really, really enjoy it and not be playing and that people want to be around it even when they're not playing. And that's something too, that, that, um, like the congregating, which is like a word that has been, uh, you know, used to, to stigmatize and control and, uh, you know, all of that. I just think that that's something that, that, perhaps these the, the the unknown they with who have the power to vote on this are thinking about perhaps yeah well and you know because you've been to forest park abigail like the the feeling of the park the kind of vibe of the the park um and it's i don't know it's it's like chill right <laughs> like it's peaceful and it's kind of slow uh and, you know, a place to be. And, you know, going back to the beginning of, of Forest Park, like there's always been, and, and Noah might be able to, to speak a little more to this, um, but there's always been a kind of question of what's the park for? Like, what's it for and who's it for? Is it a, is it a leisure space or is it more of a recreational space? And that's kind of, you know, that question has, has, has been asked. Um, again, since the park's inception, and you'll you'll you see it now, and you hear it now as well. Um, certainly, in people, you know, interviewing has, has been part of the um, interviewing park visitors has been part of the, the research that we've done recently, um, and and that has come up a couple of times. The question of like, oh, Forest Park is a place um, where I can come and, and relax and enjoy kind of nature. Um, in the midst of the city, and, and while others think of Forest Park as somewhere to to recreate and to to play sports and kind of be active, and so I think you're you're right on, Abigail, in terms of the not only the associations of basketball, the kind of gathering that happens, but I think also just simply like the energy of the sport, maybe the most like kind of of all the major American sports, probably the most like dynamic in terms of like high energy, spontaneous, like with the crowds, right? Um, maybe the most boisterous like too. And so I think there is a lot um, at play within the sport of basketball itself that is just um, seemingly like um, at odds with the way that the park has been, um, you know, formed and, and kind of designed um, and, and imagined up to this point. Yeah, I know you wanted to talk about the interviews, Abigail, and, and one of the, the most telling interviews we did, you know, we were asking people, you know, we would start with sort of, do you know where the hoops are to see if anybody knew that they were not there? And most people assumed that, that there were hoops. 
And then we would ask like, you know, would you be a ho opposed to hoops? Of course, no one was opposed to hoops that we interviewed. And then it was like, you know, why aren't there any hoops? And um, almost all of the white people that were interviewed, like couldn't figure out why <laughs> there wouldn't be hoops. But um, we interviewed these two African-American women who were very frank about, you know, like, I believe the quote was when there's more than three of us, meaning black people, there's a problem, right? Like, and so what you're talking about with basketball, not just with regard to the fact that it's a team sport on the court, right? You can play up to five on five, but also that sort of um, magnetism that the sport possess, it's, its ability to attract a crowd, right? Um, would speak to, to that dynamic, right? And, and a built-in um, sort of, uh, uh, sounds wrong to call it, soft racism, but like a, a modality of racism where, as in this case, these two um, uh, black women in the park to exercise, I believe they had been going for runs or something, that, that, that's okay on, on the sort of terms of, of the park's administrators. But at the point at which, uh, you know, this larger group of um, maybe majority black people starts congregating, that, that starts to be something that, um, that the park has a problem with, uh, even if they would never admit to that, right? Um, so, so that was what was that was an enlightening piece of of doing the interviews was was to see different people's layering awareness of of what it might be about basketball that um, that the park could that the park would want to uh, discourage so much as to not have it at all. And I think this ties into what you said earlier: is that if there are basketball courts lots of different people would use them. I mean, this this idea that, 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 um, I mean, I think important to, to sort of honor like the, the, um, like African-American basketball culture and, and what it has created and, and, um, contributed, uh, to the country. And also that, that basketball, uh, that those courts, I, I feel like would be used by a lot of different people. So even that they're kind of, uh, the, Again, like the city is choosing to um, make a decision based on racism as well. I mean, the the racism is in the action of the exclusion, but also that they they are not they they are um, not thinking about. Yeah, I, I guess they're just the, the decision itself is rooted in 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 racism too, rather than just the stereotype about black. Sorry, sorry to step on you, but it's a stereotype about black people, but it's also, as you're, as you're pointing out, a stereotype about basketball, one that ignores the, the richness of the, the game, the broad appeal of the game, right? Yes, the, the African-American tradition in basketball is, is tremendous and, um, and wonderful. Um, so I don't, I don't mean to diminish that, sure. but I, I also think that if you base your understanding of basketball based on a stereotype about it being a black sport, you are missing <laughs> to a huge degree the global appeal of this sport to people of all uh, races, genders, and, and sexual orientations. So. I also think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that the county of St. Louis does not share resources with the city of St. Louis. Is that right? They, they are separate, and that is a huge problem. They do, however, pay in somewhat to um, some of the Forest Park 
institutions. I don't know if that goes to the park at large, but things like the zoo and the art museum and the history museum are in part supported by county taxes because a lot of people, there are many more people living in St. Louis County than live in St. Louis city itself. So probably the majority of the users of forest parks amenities are county residents. So there is a kind of agreement where the county does, does support these things somewhat. But that, that city county tension is also uh, part of this dynamic that we're sure. talking about. Right? And, and a, that's a, that's not a common, uh, that's not common throughout the United States. I mean, this is an exception that the city and the county are not sharing their resources for everything. Yeah, not to get too deep into it, but it actually was the city that wanted this arrangement because they felt like the county was, and this we're talking in the 1860s when the city okay. severed this relationship. Oh my gosh. Uh, but now, but now with white flight and disinvestment in a lot of areas of the city, the 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 po the population of the county dwarfs that of the city. So there's this bizarre dynamic going on where St. Louis City still has a lot of wonderful amenities, you know, the park, but also the arch and Bush Stadium and a lot of other public facilities that you know everybody in the county uses, but then they otherwise consider the city, um, you know, too dangerous and and not interesting, except for these like uh, select amenities that that they want to use. So yeah, it's it's a big problem, and there have been all kinds of different task forces and um, you know white papers and uh, things written about how to resolve this. But um, as of yet, it it hasn't been, and it's it's part of the it's part of this tension at this, the heart of, of what we're, we're looking at as well. John, did you have anything on that? I don't want to move too soon. Or the interviews, the interviews you ha all have done in the field as far as collecting data, talking to people on the ground who use Forest Park and what they think. I think this is very telling about white people being like, huh, I don't know why they're, they're you know, or just like that, that the things that the way that I think white privilege can work often is that you are not looking around that much. You are not thinking about wh whose space that is or how that space was built or why that space was built in a certain way and that that those are blinders. And I think um, that is a choice uh, to, and not that I haven't <laughs> um, chosen those blinders sometimes or, you know, not, of course, uh, but just that like, asking questions of the space that you're in and who that space is was built for in quotes um is uh, a way to be a a thoughtful citizen um of that place and i think that 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 white people um because of white privilege sometimes opt out of that more easily absolutely and certainly in our interviews um and you know we did this one one saturday morning so this hasn't been extensive um but it was so telling that you know some some of the white people we interviewed yeah were kind of oblivious to it like yeah i don't know i don't know why that might be and seemed genuine like yeah i don't know and there were definitely others who you could tell had feelings about it and had thoughts um but weren't comfortable sharing them or maybe voicing them um, as well. So kind of reticent to say. Um, and nearly every African-American person we talked to was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it was like so obvious to them, like something to do with, again, that kind of controlling access, um, kind of getting back to what you're saying about the crowd. And I, one individual, this, this really dear man was like, yeah, basketball courts are here. Like I'd be here all the time. 
but they're probably not here because they don't want people like me here. I mean, he just outright said it, um, very matter-of-factly, um, which, again, just that disparity in terms of, you know, response, um, you know, among those that we interviewed was, was I mean, it was telling. It was also, I think, a, l- a little bit jarring, um, too, because just to name something and to name it in the space, um, and, uh, you know, myself as a, as a white man <laughs> talking to, you know, a black man, black woman about these things, um, you know, there were varying levels of, of discomfort for me as well, even just kind of asking those questions. And we were just, you know, um, we didn't, I don't know, we just walked around. We didn't set up shop or anything. We just kind of walked around and um, and when we just asked people, we told them about the project, of course, um, this wasn't a kind of, uh, we weren't tricking them or being secretive at all. We were kind of very upfront. Um, and, and nearly everyone was like, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk. We'll talk about it. We're happy to. And we also, as, as a part of this, I think as a way to maybe break the ice a little bit, um, but also just as a kind of one small kind of gesture in terms of, um, you know, kind of in a sense, like literally, but also conceptually, like bringing basketball to the court. Like we were, Noah and I were dribbling basketballs around the park, like as we, as we were like walking and interviewing people. And even just the sound, like it's just not a sound that you hear in the park, not a sound that certainly I've ever heard in the park. Maybe it's not a sound that's ever been made in the park, but just even the idea, like like just as a, as a poetic act even, I'm just like dribbling these balls in the park to make that kind of sound um, and to even have them as, you know, these basketballs that then people saw um, in the park, which again, like you just don't even see basketballs in the park too so I think that was a that was an aspect of the of the interviews too that was you know subtle but but really important it was just having the balls dribbling the balls um which then later on and we could certainly talk about this if you like um led to us kind of bringing a basketball hoop like to the park and then having conversations with people as we kind of brought this kind of like gorilla style like brought a hoop brought a hoop into the park to play Yes, I definitely want to talk about that I, because I think based on my very rudimentary knowledge of where things are in the park, that you parked in front of the art museum with it briefly, <laughs> or I don't know for how long, but so, I mean, that's my own sort of buzz off of art and sports kind of coming together there a little right. bit um, and, and what spaces for what. I mean, I think it's really um, an interesting I mean, it's important to acknowledge that, like, that discomfort of of asking these questions, I mean, as far as, like, wanting to have this not be about – I mean, what I'm understanding is it's not about you guys. It's about this larger community that uses this park and getting information from them and that people who are um, living with this knowledge uh, regularly of of feeling, like this man that you said said – this park, the people who design this park or the people who continue to design this park or not design it don't want me here. It's like that's something that once the interview is over, that like he is walking away and like that's the experience that he's having in that place um, beyond just the answer to the question and that that discomfort of of knowing that those decisions are um, made... uh, for the for those reasons, I mean, not not that every decision around Forest Park is made for that reason, but just that, um, yeah, that 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 honesty is uh, is, yeah, yeah, and and I think also 
simply just having the, you know, not not nearly knowing fully what his lived experience is like, sure. but to but to <clears throat> be able to to better understand um, and empathize with that again, like his saying the words, like you're saying, he walks away. That's that's his reality. It's not my reality. It's why I can walk around, frankly, and kind of do whatever I want in Forest Park. And I can walk around with a basketball and interview people. I can, you know, pull my car in with a basketball hoop attached to it. And, and like, no one's going to question me, or at least no one has yet. And if they did, I wouldn't be fearful of what might happen. And I, I think exactly. And I, and so I think, you know, um, you know, I, and I, I'd imagine no, you know, and I feel um, the same way on this is that, it absolutely, like you were saying, Abigail, you know, isn't isn't a project really at all about us. It's about kind of our shared interest in these questions, and and because of our privilege, being able to to do something about it in ways that other people might not. And then, you know, as the project has evolved um, and kind of gained some momentum, and you know, the relationships that are formed through that, and so really, it's much more of a, you know, we're hoping is much more of a community project that we just happen to be facilitating. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, if we meet our goal and, and basketball courts are installed in Forest Park, that's not going to, you know, solve the problem of racism. That's not going to remove that burden uh, for Black people in St. Louis. But I do hope that, that you know, in addition to things like taking down a Confederate monument, constructing um, basketball hoops um, is, you know, just maybe some small um, gesture, some small thing that, you know, uh, we can we can help contribute to that can help make the park a, a more welcoming place for everyone. I, we're not changing the world here, but I think, you know, sports are an important part of people's lives, you know, that we don't eat and breathe sports, but uh, we do, many of us spend a lot of time thinking about them or playing them or, or being involved with them. So, so, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't especially want um, credit for anything we're doing here, but I do want to to do my part in with regard to something that I love, which is sports, and love to think about critically. You know, doing sports studies um, to to actually, you know, instead of writing that paper, to to do something that makes a, a material uh, change in the landscape for good and and for for acceptance. So that you know, that is that is what what I'm hoping to get out of it. Yes, and I, I think that just asking the questions, I mean, of yourself, of the space, like by researching of of, of people who are using the park uh, is its own form of, I mean, I guess, um, artwork in some way. I mean, I think that I, I had on the podcast not too long ago, Eric Nussbaum, who wrote the book Stealing Home about Dodger Stadium. And I, you know, I had prior to that, I had thought about, you know, what, kind of, I mean, sometimes not an example of Dodger Stadium necessarily, but some arenas are kind of ugly <laughs> and they're not always adding to the visual. I mean, this is mostly basketball arenas. I think baseball parks have a little bit more visual appeal, <laughs> but um, that they're just these huge structures that take up so much space. And, and especially for stadiums and arenas that were built before I was born, you know, I, I guess I had just been like, oh, that's just always been there. You know, often, I mean, I hadn't always thought this way, but I mean, until the past few years, I just been like, this is just the way it is. And being like, well, it's only the way it is because of some decisions that were made and because of some and often um, because of how racism functions in the United States, be because of 
racist decisions that were made by people who had the backing of a powerful institution um, and, and money and that, you know, there's even with civic centers, like the civic center uh, that's built in Tucson, uh, where I live now, kind of busted up uh some neighborhoods there that were that were thriving uh, multicultural spaces um, and uh, sports can often and I you know I think we see this with the Olympics that like uh, that the, the neighborhoods can be wiped out in order to build sports complexes and things like that so just kind of just asking when and why and how and and knowing that it doesn't have to be the way it is just because it has been the way it is the past 10 years the past 20 years whatever it's only because of people who were invested for for negative reasons or positive reasons in that place and so you you two as facilitators of this project being invested in this place that could have just as much power hopefully in the long run yeah i mean uh, st louis is bush stadium is built on what used to be at uh, it's Chinatown. Yes, so, yes. People of color were displaced um, for that. But I also think to your point about basketball arenas being ugly, um, I do think, you know, John Edgar Wideman writes really eloquently in his book, Hoop, Hoop is, no, not Hoop Roots, that's the movie. What's it called? Um, oh, it is Hoop Roots, right? I think, I think it's Hoop Roots. It is Hoop Roots, yeah. yeah. Uh, he writes so beautifully about the how the aesthetic importance of the pickup game and how different that is from basketball that's played in arenas, right? And I think also the, the hoops being outdoors, right? Like one thing, one of the sort of quotes we found about the Fort Shaw team is they lost one game uh, and, you know, who knows whether it was some kind of essentializing racism, but but the quote was uh, that, that they, they in part attributed the loss to the fact that they had never played the game indoors before. Um, so you know, even though it's a it's a, a winter sport and um, something that when we even now in June we turn on our TVs for the NBA playoffs, we're, you know, we're seeing an inside experience. I think that um, the aesthetics of outdoor basketball are its own distinctive and and important. Um, it's a it's a pleasure for me. I really love hoops in the landscape and and sort of bodies in motion in an outdoor space. Um, that's really always something that I, that I frankly think is beautiful. So I also think that this, there's a way to perceive this as, you know, another beautification <laughs> project. Absolutely. For the, absolutely. For the and I was, I, I, as you as you pointed out, it's like the hoops are beautiful when they're still. The court is beautiful as a space of potential, as a space of what could happen there when it's not being used. It's also beautiful when people are on it, playing with each other, interacting, sharing that space. And I mean, I think more than ever after the pandemic, that has become more valuable. It's like places outside to congregate, to be with one another, um, and to to be like using your bodies in a way that that is. Um, makes you feel good. Like, I just think that that, that was the pandemic has, has many lessons in it. And that's one of them is that like, let's not take that for granted again. Or who, I mean, I, maybe it was just me taking it for granted. I don't know, but I don't want to take those spaces for granted. Yeah, that's, that's a, um, that's also such a good point. So let's talk about the hoop that you brought into Forest Park and how you arrived at that, at that being one of many, steps or answers so i mean hoops are absent as we've established and so um like this is maybe the first step in 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 bringing hoops uh to the park permanently you know it's this um you know 
can be framed in any number of ways. This kind of part of the project, um, I don't know, social sculpture, uh, interventionist installation. Um, but I just thinking of ways like, all right, well, how can we just get a hoop in the park? Um, I'm not going to roll a portable hoop in um, with like a 200 pound base, you know, um, and our minivan. So yeah, we, we got the kids. We have a minivan. Um, we bought it used and it has a hitch on the back. Like I had never used a hitch before, but, um, but I thought, Oh, there's a way I can attach something to that. Um, so just like basically just welded a, a, a hitch attachment, constructed a pole just using Telspar um, from the department or hardware store, um, attached an old hoop to it that I got from a neighbor for free. Um, and, you know, just rolled it into the park. So like it was attached to, it was attached to my car. So I felt good about that. Um, like I wasn't setting up something in the park. Like if it was a problem, I just drive away. Um, like it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and it was adjustable too. So I could take it down, you know, if, if um, or portable. So, you know, if I needed to, um, but you know, I, I don't know. No one, I just thought it'd be fun to do in a way, again, just kind of the next step, um, a good way to talk with people also, or just, again, it's kind of raising awareness. There's also the, just the act of doing it itself. And then um, people that we meet, you know, through, through the process of just you know, shooting hoops in the park. So, um, so you're right, Abigail, and that we, yeah, we, we, we set up shop very temporarily kind of in front of different landmarks in the park. Um, took some photographs, talked to some people um, yeah, in front of the art museum, the history museum um, in particular. Um, but what we did, it was just a few Saturdays ago, um, is we set up shop to play in the parking lot. So there's a really large parking lot um, right by the visitor center, which coincidentally is right by the um, really large tennis facility there. Um, and it was a Saturday morning. And so we rolled up, assembled the hoop uh, on the back of the minivan, um, had some waters in the cooler. You know, we had, we had let, you know, uh, friends know and neighbors know, and um, certainly, you know, those that were following us uh, on Instagram. And then we just played. And we, it was a little bit of pickup, played some 21, like there were kids there. It was like, it was super fun. Yeah. Um, and there was plenty of space. Like, yeah, there was plenty of space in the parking lot. Um, of course, no one I were really anxious about it going into it um, in terms of would we be allowed to, to stay? I mean, it's, you know, it's unusual to have a 10, you know, nine, 10 foot basketball hoop on the back of a car driving around the park and then of course, you know, shooting in a parking lot. Um, but park rangers didn't seem to care. They just drove by. And um, so we played and had a, had a great time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the moments of, of uh, basketball in the parking lot and then these, you know, intentionally set up moments where we would drive it in front of a sort of park landmark and take some photos. Um, were really great, but but I think um, perhaps even more meaningful to me was just when we would be driving it around the park, <laughs> um, because you know people people would notice and their reactions were really really interesting. Most people seemed, you know, kind of excited. Um, we'd get thumbs up and you know uh, fake shooting motions from people, and <laughs> um, you know. Uh, that, that was all, but then you'd also get sort of puzzled looks or like 
talking to the person next to them, like what on earth is going yeah. on? <laughs> um, but it, but it did, you know, we probably only affected, you know, 30, 40 people each time we've, we've driven it around the park, but just, just to see the, you know, that sort of ability. I mean, who knows if, you know, they ever actually connect that moment that they see this thing to the fact that there aren't permanent basketball hoops, but it, but it certainly felt like a moment of like um, breaking into their sort of unconscious understanding of what the park landscape was and sort of presenting them with an unfamiliar object and forcing them to sort of reckon with that in, in the landscape that they've, you know, if they're, if they're city or county residents have engaged hundreds, if not thousands of times. Yeah. And is that, is the, is it ongoing with the basketball hoop on the car? Is that something you'll be doing regularly, semi-regularly? I would, I would say semi-regularly uh, in the, in the summer. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, maybe not the season. The next time we did it, um, it was pretty blazing hot and it was still great to be there um but much much less participation um understandably like it was it was almost miserable <laughs> it was so hot um but i do yeah i mean i absolutely see see that and and maybe you know even in more kind of formal ways um with pickup games you know time specific for pickup games or maybe you know just a very small scale, I don't know, kind of like, like they used to have to hoop it up three on three tournaments that would travel city to city. Um, but just something something where, um, yeah, we could just continue to um, have the hoop, you know, be a consistent presence there, but then also, you know, drawing in other people um, from different, you know, communities around around St. Louis to um, to play hoops in the park. Yeah. I think that one thing that I really admire about this project is its specificity, because I think that that's something that even though it's so so rooted to this particular issue in this particular park in this particular city, that's something that I think can make people who are outside of St. Louis, maybe haven't been to Forest Park and can't visualize what, what, what you guys can visualize, it, think about where they are differently. So it's like, I think one of those things that getting very, very down to this very specific thing actually makes it much more expansive um, as far as how people can hopefully think about what's happening where where they are and the issues that need to be uh, um, I mean that the historical uh, racism within infrastructure or the lack of that infrastructure in a city can be addressed um, through many different ways and and uh, this is just one of them. That's great to hear you say, because there's certainly been times where I've thought in its hyper-specificity, like will, will people outside of um, St. Louis care, connect with it? Like, is that gonna be the only audience? And even when we were interviewing people, several times it came up, people say, oh, no, 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 uh, I'm not from here. I'm just visiting. And we're like, no, no, we're, you're actually like someone we wanna talk to yeah. um, to get your perspective. Um, you know, about this issue. And so, um, so yeah, several of the interviewees were, yeah, it was their first time um, to Forest Park or, you know, they were there visiting their, you know, son or daughter um, and did not, did not live here. Um, so that kind of broader applicability, I think that you were 
commenting on um, is nice. Again, just nice to hear hear you say um, not being a, a St. Louis and, and it would certainly be, a, uh, I think, a wonderful facet of the project if um, if it could kind of do that for, you know, not just people within St. Louis, but outside of St. Louis, just in terms of, um, you know, thinking a little more critically about, um, you know, the the built environment and, you know, particularly parks and um, and how that shapes, you know, our lives and, and our experience of space. Yeah, just to echo that, I mean, for, for listeners outside St. Louis, I think, yeah, just to denaturalize your assumptions about uh, uh, outdoor communal spaces that you may have visited you know, hundreds or thousands of times and, and try to, to think about the the absences in the landscape as well as the presences, right? Like um, it's it's sometimes easier to engage with, uh, I don't know, those spikes they put on benches to keep homeless people from, or unhoused people from sleeping on them and things and, and to recognize, you know, what message that sends and, and who that impacts negatively. But But as we've pointed out throughout this, you know, there's also, uh, the lack of <laughs> uh, certain amenities or the, or the way things are constructed in a way that you maybe isn't a mark on the la landscape, but a lack of a mark on the landscape and to, and to try and open up your mind to, to thinking about those things as you engage uh, public spaces. And, and also just to recognize intentionality in the way those public spaces are constructed. You know, parks don't just emerge from the prairie or whatever. <laughs> there are professionals and uh, designers and politicians and, all kinds of people who um, construct these spaces in specific ways. Uh, so, so just to maybe put people's antennae up a little bit to thinking about the way those spaces have been constituted and who is served by them and who is discouraged from being present um, is, a, is a useful thing in, in any, um, not only urban context too, you know, suburban, even rural contexts. Yes, and as an ongoing, like Forest Park is alive and uh, these, you know, the people who maintain it or vote on it or control it are also alive that this is not, nothing is, nothing is over um, and that the, 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 the issues of um, who and, and uh, who is not uh, included or, or thought about or discouraged from being in a public space is like something that can be addressed at any time, even if Forest Park was planned in the 1870s, certainly, uh, yeah. So I think that 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 such an important thing that can be translated across the world. Um, yeah. So I appreciate. It. I also think social practice as an art form is one of those sort of ways of working that it does help to be specific to connect with other places and other people. Where as with, you know, I mean, I think it's helpful in many different mediums, but. Uh, specifically that way of working uh, rather than painting or sculpture or something else where you're interacting with people it's so powerful and you're right John about Instagram and social media it's like this is this is the medium <laughs> you know this is the way that it can translate and the way that it can be you know kind of become its own blueprint for for other potential um, projects as well I, I want to give a shout to to John's work on that Instagram account. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a wordsmith maybe, but not <laughs> so visually talented. And, um, you know, we get a lot of engagement with those posts where, um, you know, John comes up with an idea, whether it's it's the sort of material uh, constructive efforts of, of, you know, building the hoop attached to his car, but also just, you know, designing graphics 
um, that sort of take the, the park landscape and put a little twist on it. Like he, he has posts where he's constructed a, like one of the orientation signs for what amenities are available, but then he's got basketball like crossed out. Or um, we had this historical photo of, of um, uh, sports being played at Francis Field during the Olympics. And he built, he, he sort of drew in a, a basketball hoop in the background with the sort of almost an echo of the arch, which of course didn't exist at that time, but you know, brings up St. Louis identity. So it's, uh, and those posts are, are, get our best engagement. So it really is uh, meaningful to see how people recognize the importance of the, the artistic practice that goes into this project as well. And John deserves all the credit for that. Well, personally, that interplay that Noah and I have, have had over the, gosh, I don't know, how long has this been going now, Noah? Four months, three months, um, has been, has been so, so enjoyable. Like I said, on a personal level, um, the, his writing, you know, both of our kind of researching, um, both of our also kind of finding, you know, historical photographs and documents. And so um, it's really wonderful. Some things that he'll write, of course, will spur within me. Oh, trying to put some things together visually in a certain way. And I think, you know, vice versa, um, kind of as the visual language of the project is developing a little bit, um, kind of shaping the way that, you know, Noah is engaging, um, you know, the research through what he's writing. So um, that's been really, really wonderful, actually, to, to, to be a part of together and to really see um, developing. Well, it's so great. And I'm really grateful for you guys coming on the pod to share about this. And so the Twitter account is Whereas Hoops. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and same with Instagram. There's an underscore in the Instagram. Okay. Account. So it's whereas underscore hoops. Okay, great. So um, just for anyone listening who wants to follow more of what you guys are doing as this evolves. So yeah, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing and your willingness to talk about it and, and sort of help spread the word. So thank you. Thanks for having us on. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, Abigail. Great. Bye. Thanks, Abigail. Bye. Bye.